So, how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. All right, we're back. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Haskin. And we're driving around talking movies, and this is our uh, almost annual uh, pre-Academy Awards podcast. Oscar uh, preview pod. That's right, that's right. Very exciting. Uh, well, I don't know. How excited are you about the Oscars this year? I am oddly really excited. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. And, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm oddly neutral. Uh, I guess I'm excited because out of all the movies nominated, there's none that's like a clear, like, this is a masterpiece. But there's several that I really enjoyed, and I don't, we'll talk about this, there's not like a clear front runner to me. Right. Like it's, a, a, it's an exciting race. It could go a lot of different ways. It really could. It really could. And of course, as always, Steve, uh, you and I have not seen all of the movies, so... Uh, you know, I've seen only four out of the ten nominees, which actually is not a bad, uh, not a bad way for me to go in. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've gone in seeing far, far fewer from the final. Yeah. What did you see? I've seen seven of the nine, oh, and uh, the two I haven't seen. I know you also are on your list of ones you haven't seen. Uh, one of them is The Darkest Hour, which is a movie that uh, I, I feel like I almost Churchill. have seen it. I mean, well, I guess I'm not expecting to be. Surprised by that. It falls under that British prestige historical thing. Sure. Uh, we're both not enormous fans of these films, but, uh, you know, I heard great things about The Darkest Hour. I've also, I've soured a lot on these uh, prestige biopics. Yeah, yeah. That just because most of the time, it seems like the whole thing is just an excuse for an actor to kind of show off and hopefully mm -hmm. win some awards. Mm -hmm. And uh, that method, I mean, is effective. There's a lot of Oscars given out for people who do these things. Right. Uh, if you believe the uh, odds, we're going to see another one on Sunday that Gary Oldman is kind of favored to win right. for his portrayal of this mm -hmm. for various reasons. And um, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so I don't know. The prestige biopic about the greatness of Winston Churchill. Also, speaking as someone who's under 75, um, Every year you think, maybe, are we done with the World War II movies? And the answer no. is always no. It's always no. No, I mean, it's, there's, it's there's an endless, two of them, yeah, it's two a bottomless well. In the nine. Right, and these two are actually kind of interconnected. So some people almost say that this is like a perfect double feature, Dunkirk and The Darkest Hour, because they both basically deal with the same exact time frame during the World War II, so, uh, and kind of about the same thing in the... British response and all of that stuff. So um, it's almost like this year in, in the in the best picture category, there's like a little little like British World War II heroism ghetto that exists in the, yeah. in the entire field of nominees, and we'll see. So like the, it's like if they're kind of tag teaming here, so we'll see we'll see if they win anything. I I I, I for some reason do not foresee a lot of love for uh, Dunkirk, for example. Yeah. Uh, Dun Even though I really like it, but we talked about it 
last time, but yeah, D- Dunkirk is yeah. In our previous pod, which I'm sure everybody here is listening oh, yes. to right now, um, Dunkirk is a was a great theater experience. It's very visceral. Uh, it's kind of an odd little tale in a way. That's what I mean. It's uh, all centered around these soldiers on the beach, and after the main battle is over. Right. Um, but so it's, yeah, it's you know, I did. It's it's running away the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I did recently talk to a friend who did the thing I'd always wondered about, which was you know he was able to watch the movie at home through methods I'm not at liberty to discuss. No. <laughs> uh, he said it worked great because that's I wondered if it's one of those things that you know I've seen movies in theaters that I had a great experience, then you come home and you're like, yeah, I don't know. Because of the the way it was shot, which was uh, yeah. what, seventy millimeter on film, and just and, so uh, all encompassing with the sound design right. and everything. That yeah. being in the theater, you know, in the pressure cooker of the cinema, right. where you know you're not, you know, your cat's not bothering you, and you're not pausing to go to the bathroom, and you're like just in the world. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's how ideally, you know, like all these movies want to be experienced. But that really works for Dunkirk. But you know. My friend said it worked great at home, too. So I don't know. Dunkirk's a movie that, as we discussed, I kind of admire more than love, but it's, it's impressive. Yeah, it is. I It was an impressive uh, theater experience. I would like to certainly see it again on a smaller screen. And uh, But, uh, again, I, I think that there's, like, a little bit of a lack of excitement yeah. up for Dunkirk, so I don't think it's going to win. I hope it wins. Well, I almost guarantee it's going to win some special effects, uh, awards, yeah. particularly for sound, sure. sound design, sound mixing. It's absolutely revolutionary in, the, in that department. So I'm pretty sure it's going to win in that department. Uh, but then again, there, it, could, it could end up losing uh, those categories as well. You never know. But, um, but I think Dunkirk is also going to slightly drag down the darkest hour for overall performance, but I'm with you. Gary Oldman might might take home the statue. More of a, a like a total career. Yeah, a bit of a legacy award that, uh, you know. I'd... He's very, he seems to be beloved, even though he has a tendency to say stupid things in interviews. Sure. Uh, and um, that's because he gives drunk interviews, Steve. That's his mistake. Don't interview <laughs> drunk. It, it It's nothing but trouble. But that is a little aside. But I think he's got a good chance of w- winning because, you know, he's friggin' Gary Oldman and he's just had so many amazing performances over the years uh, that uh, he certainly deserves it. Yeah. So uh, continuing on with the best pictures, the other one that I haven't seen, which I know you also haven't seen, is Call Me By Your Name. So right. I heard talk great about things it. about so that So have I. Like, really, not, uh, I, I think it's actually next on my list. Of the films I have not seen, it's the one I want I want to see the most. Yeah, so I we, we shamefully can't comment a whole lot about it, but I so no. it, it's not a... The fact that we haven't seen it is not a reflection of our opinions of Call Me By Right, Man. right. All right, Andre, so let's discuss a movie that we have seen, and that is Phantom Thread, a movie we actually saw together. Right. Now, right. Phantom Thread, for me personally, is, uh, if not my favorite film of the year, one of my favorites. Um, and part of that was I also had a lovely viewing experience. Uh, right. Including the company. Yes. But, you. Uh, you know, we went and saw it at 70 millimeter at the Music Box here in Chicago, and it was... Um, I like Paul Thomas Anderson in general. I will yeah. say for my money, this is the best combination of enjoyable and satisfying of his movies for me since 
probably Magnolia. Oh, that's a big that's a big thing. Well, big I was just thing. thinking about it that all the other ones, you know, um, Inherent Vice, uh -huh. which is a movie that got kind of overlooked, is I think that movie's really funny. It's yeah. a good time. I don't, you know, you walk out of that movie and it's a little. Like be, maybe just partly because it is Paul Thomas Anderson and it's you yeah. know based on a novel by Pynchon that you want that movie to feel like it's commenting on something big but but what yeah <laughs> so it's a it's a good time like yeah, you know, if you treat it more like you're watching The Big Lebowski you right. just have fun with it um, then you know this movie before that is the opposite end of the spectrum with The Master which is a master. Um, I think that movie's very good. Yes. Uh, like a lot of his movies, especially on the second viewing, I was like, wow, there's really something here. Um, it, enjoyable is not exactly a word I would right. apply to it. Whereas Phantom Thread is Actually kind of, enjoyable. it feels, but uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's way funnier than you might be led to believe from the previews. Yeah, one of my other friends is like, I haven't seen it because I watched the preview. And he thought this looks like the most boring movie. Right. Like he thought. Really not, no. He thought this was just a prestige British picture. Well, it's got the trappings of that, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it, but 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 I, I agree with you. It does it does have a fair amount of humor in it. It is uh, not as stuffy as you think it it will be. Well, what's interesting to me is the Daniel Day Lewis character is kind of stodgy, but I feel like the tone of the movie. It's okay to poke fun at his stodginess. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's parts of the movie where you, you slowly realize as it's going on that, like, it's kind of okay to mock this character. And then afterwards, you know, watching, even, like, his name is uh, blanking on his first name. You know, things like Woodcock. You know? And it's just, it's almost like a parody of that type of yeah. British person. Yeah. And... I don't know, I just feel like the movie's not exactly what you think it's going to be. Right. In a really great way. It, it and, undermines your expectations. And part of that is I've had, you know, female friends who've said, oh, it's another movie about, you know, a difficult male genius and the women who love him. And I don't, you know, I don't want to see that shit anymore. Even as much, uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence was on the WTF podcast, mm -hmm. which is another podcast not as beloved as ours, but, you know, people have heard of and uh, even Jennifer Gen Lawrence was on the WTF. Jennifer right? Lawrence was on WTF, and they were discussing the kind of Oscar <laughs> nominees. And Jennifer Lawrence was like, "Oh, Phantom Thread. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's about. Oh, let me guess. He's like, you know, he's a genius, but he's an asshole." And she's like, "Hard pass." <laughs> like even you know the artistry of Paul Thomas Anderson. She's just like. I don't want to see a movie about just like how great some guy who's dicky to women is. Yeah. But the movie... Well, good for her. Well, I'm yeah. saying the movie is set up a little like that, but then it's not that. It's uh, It plays around with that a lot in a way that's kind of interesting. And also not in the fully obvious way. This is what I like about Paul Thomas Anderson in recent years, is that I'll make these movies... Like, you know, the master of people, before it came out, they're like, oh, it's a Scientology movie. And then when it came out, it's like, well, it's not exactly the Scientology movie, but it's also not not the Scientology movie. Right. So I guess in a weaker filmmaker, you would either make the movie that's like, okay, this is the Scientology movie, or it's 100%, like it subverts your expectations in, in an expected way. So I guess you wouldn't say subvert, but you're like, okay, you know, oh, guess what? It glorifies Scientology, you know? Right, right. And... 
the thing with Phantom Thread is, you know, the guy is, the Woodcock character is a talented dressmaker. Everyone around him thinks he's a genius. He's kind of an asshole. He's kind of stodgy. And then the people around him, you know, confront him like, you know, there's a battle about how he's ridiculous. They don't make it like, oh, he's not good at dressmaking. You know, like he is right. still. No, he is a genius at what he does. The thing, the thing that, that I thought along the same lines also is that he he's clearly has a psychological condition. He's clearly like obsessive compulsive, but in that, at that time, nobody understood the psychological condition that he had, you know? That's a good so point. Yeah. people just kind of, you know, react to him in a certain way. Like right now, a guy like that would be diagnosed and diagnosable and probably medicated to some, some extent that would make him a little bit easier to suffer for those around him. But at that time, people just had to deal with him because of, you know, his status uh, as a genius, quote unquote. That's, that was an aspect of the film that I found kind of, uh, kind of interesting, like a little subtext. And I also liked the, like the film was very Hitchcockian in tone. Yes. Even though it's not a thriller. Um, it's almost hard to describe what genre it is because you could look at this film as a romantic comedy, Steve. In a you, way, you could, yeah. You could yeah. rewrite this film to be pretty funny. Yeah. And you could, like, recast this film with, like, Jim Carrey and, uh, who else is Amy Schumer or somebody like that. And Please don't, way... but okay. No, yes, <laughs> we will not do that. Although... That's about Jim Carrey more than Amy <laughs> Schumer for the record, too. I, anyway. I love Jim Carrey. You, you know what I'm saying. So, yes. And you're right, it is, and but even... In itself, it still it still has some you know some humor as you mentioned, and in in a funny way, you know how inherent vice is not as funny as it wants you to think it is. <laughs> this one is a lot funnier okay. than it wants you to think it yeah. is. Yeah, uh, and that's that's preferable, oh. right? That, that's, that's better. <laughs> I can right? see why you'd say that. I don't know if I you don't know, you necessarily don't, agree. You with don't those agree about the, the uh, about the inherent vice or about both of those comments because I don't think it's unintentionally funny. No, I, I no, I, I think it's intentionally yeah. funny. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's unintentionally funny. I'm just saying it just kind of turned out that way. Yeah, uh, and the same with inherent vice. It just turned out that way that it's doesn't. It's not quite as funny as should be uh even though it tries really hard <laughs> but uh but it's just not and and this is a much better film so i i, well, I find inherent vice pretty funny but i will say uh this movie is a better film and i want to talk for a minute about mr day lewis mm -hmm. and um you know i i love daniel day lewis he's one of if not my favorite working actor formerly working right yeah. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, whatever. Since he retired. Well, yeah, right. Uh, anyway. Back in two years for another but, Oscar. You know, as someone who loves Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, you and I have talked before. I think There Will Be Blood is maybe the most overrated movie of the past 20 years. Yeah. And one of my biggest problems with that movie, to put it in a nutshell, is that I feel like the performance just steamrolled the whole film that Daniel Day-Lewis is able to just run around through the whole movie, running roughshod. And if the movie's supposed to be, you know, a battle between money and religion as epitomized through Daniel Day-Lewis versus... Um, Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Well, that's... The Clash a, of the Titans. 
Yeah, well, that's the problem. Paul Dano <laughs> is not up to the task. Whereas in Phantom Thread, the two women who are, you know, shift between allies and adversaries, there's a Vicky Kreps, Creeps, I'm going to screw that up, the woman who plays Alma uh-huh. in the movie, and then Leslie Manville, who right. plays his sister, both of those women, I feel, or those actors, are up to the task. Yeah, they're, so they're felt, both fantastic. They're both great, and it felt like a real battle. Right. So, well, so you will. I mean, the movie is not a Daniel Day Lewis fest. That's what no, makes it so fun. It's a, a, it's a, it's a trio. It's a trio. And and the the shifting relationship between those characters is really the the the, the center of the film. Yeah, it's an excellent film. I, I wonder how it'll fare in terms of. Again, I, it's hard. Like sometimes I can predict the Oscars. This year I feel like I it's hard for me to predict the Oscars. Yeah. I'm gonna try, but I, I have a feeling that I'm I'm not gonna have quite the I'm not expecting the, it to win a whole lot, but I will say it's a bit of a re embrace of Paul Thomas Anderson. Whereas when the master came out, I mean I you know, most people think the reason that movie didn't get nominated for a whole lot of things was the Scientology factor, but you know, as we just discussed, you can make an argument that the Scientology, it's not really... I just felt that that movie was... It was too weird for people to want to deal with. You know, that the... Even though, like, critics gave it really good reviews, that the people nominating Oscars are like, you know, I don't really want to wrestle with this movie. And I think... Um, my memory is... Joaquin Phoenix was nominated... But I, I just were remember. Were nominated? Was Amy Adams nominated too? I remember like a whole bunch of nominations for the. Man's yeah, movie. but I don't know. I was just Joaquin Phoenix in that movie in particular. I thought was doing like some sort of crazy next level acting. Like yeah. I just I'd never seen anything like that. I couldn't take my eyes off him. Yeah, I thought he was amazing, and I no, the, but, I, I I thought the master was pretty great, and and I and I would as much as I like Phantom Thread, I think I like the master more, but I need to see Phantom Thread again. Uh, yeah. To actually finalize that statement. And but, you know, they didn't do a lot of pre-release screenings of that movie. Yeah. So it kind of came Anderson out at the very end like of the that. year. And so it didn't have that, like, Oscar buzz about it. So people were like, oh, it's not going to... And then, surprise, surprise, when the nominations came out, it was actually nominated for a lot of things. And which indicates that people saw it and liked it. Um, But I'm not really expecting it to win much. Out of the nine nominees, it's... I would probably vote for that. As that my, would be your choice? That would probably be my pick. I, we can make an argument for another one coming up here, but that would be my pick. I guess, okay, so we'll just to launch right in. The other one, which is the other movie that surprised me at theaters this year, was Get Out. Mm-hmm. And Get Out, we could, you know, we've talked about in the past, about we've both seen Get Out, what we think of it overall. Um, I know you, I want to hear your points on this, because I, I think you are thinking it should not win Best Picture, if I'm correct on that. Um, I like it in the fact that it was... It, it's not the best directed movie of this bunch, but it what it has going for it is it's it's alive. You know, like, there's something going on there. Like, yeah. it, it's got an energy and a uniqueness to right. it that well, I really a, appreciate. It's a genre film, and like a lot of good genre films, it's a, it's a, and it is a good genre film, <laughs> it has something to say about our society, and it's very, it's, it's entertaining, it's well-structured, it's creepy what it needs to be. It's got sort of this classic horror film to it with, uh, you know, with strong social underpinnings. Uh, I'm not 
mitigating its nomination, but it, it, I would be very surprised if it wins because just as a film, I know what you're saying, it is alive, it does have a character to it, which is nice to see from Hollywood, but I'd say most of the films nominated have that to some extent. But, uh, but it's just, as a genre film, it's just not on the level of cinema, uh, that uh, Phantom Thread or, or, or Dunkirk is, it's just not, I, I'm sorry. And, and uh, I really want to see more from Jordan Peele because I'm a fan of his, you know. Yeah. From the first time I started watching Key and Peele and, and that's, that, that show was a fantastic training ground because that show is really just like a bunch of short films strung together. Okay, so that, that's, you know, when you make you know, 40 short films, that's a good way to train yourself as a director. Yeah, you get some learned, film making chops. Right, right. He le And he learned really well. And uh, and he did a great job. But, you know, and, you know, we'll see. Who knows? He, he might win Best Director. Who knows? Well, there's, know. you know, even before there were nine or ten nominees, the, even back in the days of just five, a lot of times one of the slots would be given to, like, a movie that was really popular. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like the people's choice. Even back to, like, 1977, you know, like, Star right. Wars was nominated for Best Picture. And I like the idea that, you know, at least one of the nominees should be like, well, what's the movie everybody's talking about? You, yes. know, like, you know, like when Avatar came out. I thought like, that was the Phantom Thread, Steve. <laughs> See that? <laughs> Sadly, no. No. And, um, but so Get Out is nominated for that. I will say, in terms of your uh, prognosticating, that movie almost never wins. It only wins if it also has some sort of like prestige sheen to it, right. like Titanic won. But there's an angle you could look at Titanic as if it's this, you know, serious epic. Well, it was a serious epic, or at least it tried to be, and yeah. it was also just such an unprecedented box office blockbuster yeah. that it was impossible to uh, deny it almost, you know, because it had so, it, it checked so many boxes of what the best picture of the year is supposed to be. It was clearly the most successful film of its, not just its year, but its time. It was a triumph from a technological perspective because, you know, it was a great looking film and it was exciting and all yeah. that stuff and you know it had that kind of cool historical sheen that that made sense to me but uh but i i don't know i mean again i don't think get out's got a snowball's chance of it in hell of winning best picture and i don't think it deserves to so yeah well other it. than it could do the thing that moonlight did which is that if there's no clear front runner then who knows you know like if it's all up for grabs i will say I think it's one of, it would be an upset for DeWin, but out of the nine nominees, I say there's like four or five that have a chance, and I think that's one of them. Just um, because it was successful? Yeah, I mean, and they, just like yeah, the, the yeah, talk I hear, and that a lot of people say it. it's the most notable film of the year. It did get good reviews and good box office. Like, people like it. Um, I just think, like, that has a way better chance. Like, I actually think that has a better chance than Dunkirk winning. That's why. And, um, and yeah. Phantom Thread. And the ones that I think are possible contenders are Get Out, Lady Bird, Shape of Water, uh, Three Billboards. Right. I feel like those are the ones that have a chance. Well, but let's talk about those. Did you see Lady Bird? I did see Lady Bird. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, Lady Bird is a lot of fun. Um, it is a classic coming-of-age story. Uh, it's very well done. It's like um, just hats off to Greta Gerwig. She knows what she's doing. The thing I will say about it 
and a negative thing, it's not necessarily surprising. You know, I mean, like the scenes are, it, it's paced really well. The writing's good. The acting's fantastic. I mean, Laurie Metcalf would be my vote for best supporting actress. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's well done for what it is. But in the year of where Phantom Thread and Get Out, like, went places I didn't think they were going to go mm -hmm. without being a twist ending. Like, that's not exactly how those movies work. Um, you know, Lady Bird, there's nothing twisty about it. It feels like... You know, you look at it and you're like, oh, I hear it's this coming-of-age story about this teenage girl in Sacramento, and that's exactly what it is. Um, but there are some really good jokes in it, and uh, the performances are all great. Uh, Cersei, the lead, is great. Like, you're just Ooh. with her the whole time. And, um, you know, I don't know, has uh, your daughter seen it? My daughter has seen it, and she really liked it. I've heard some buzz from people with teenage daughters that it's got some cachet as a, like, if you are currently a teenage girl, yeah, they, this movie is going to live on for you as a like, yeah, one of your movies. She really liked it. I mean, I don't know if it's like a life changer for her to be honest sure. with you, but she liked the picture and uh... say Clueless. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, like Clueless yeah. is good. I haven't seen Clueless in a long time, so I guess I can't rank it next to Lady Bird. But for people, if you were a teenage girl in 1993, like years later you're like you clueless holds a beloved spot in your heart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and i've heard a lot of chitter that a uh, lady bird is uh, going to go down as like kind of a classic teenage film of the times which i wish it would, yeah. i mean that'd be great it's uh cool your review very much sounded like my review of get out it it you i mean it was a competent genre film that may become a classic in years to come amongst fans of that genre but you know, at the end of the day, it's not anything unbelievable enough that that set it aside that much, that you, you know, that that it it, it deserves to win Best Picture. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and I will say, in terms of Oscar, you know, prognosticating here, I would, I would be stunned that Greta Gerwig would win Best Director. Like that, I think, I don't think is happening. But Lady Bird to me would be my dark horse candidate to win best picture because you can make a political argument for Lady Bird um, not like Lady Bird itself isn't a very political film mm -hmm. right? but given the environment of like the kind of post Harvey Weinstein protest and the idea of like it's time for women to come up a movie about a teenage girl written and directed by a woman is kind of political just by its existence and part of me wonders if that is enough to propel it to best picture. That it, if, you know, in a year when nobody's looking at these movies, like nobody's saying, okay, Dunkirk is clearly like a timeless masterpiece and everything else is second. Like nobody's saying that. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying a lot of these movies have things for and against them, I can imagine a world where the voters say, I'm going to vote for the movie written and directed by a woman about teenage girls yeah I mean uh, that 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 might happen I mean I, I have to say that like it, it, I, I think it's very very dangerous for the Academy Award to get into the like a pattern of just rewarding whatever uh, minority group tends to feel under fire that particular year so uh, this year, definitely, there was this whole sexual harassment thing that came out 
after Harvey Weinstein revelations and so forth that, you know, revealed what we apparently nobody knew before, that uh, Hollywood is a frigging viper's nest of molesters and rapists and various other psychopaths that operate uh, openly, virtually, in that business. So, yeah, I could see the industry uh, rewarding, you know, trying to counter that by rewarding a movie helmed by a woman. It's just like, be, you know, I mean, women have won Academy Awards before for directing and... Uh, Once. Well, yes, once. That's that. That is actually a good point. But it has happened. So, so that precedent has been broken already. So, um, so essentially, you know, if you don't think that Lady Bird is on the level where it deserves to win that thing, then it shouldn't win. Because once you make, once you totally politicize the Academy Awards, then all, it loses all meaning and it's just going to disappear. So, if you care about it, you know that the, the, the awards need to be based on. Uh, as much an artistic merit as possible. As much as possible. You see what I'm saying? That's just my opinion. And, and, and I think the more it gets politicized, the more it's going to... Well, the telecast is going to lose viewership for sure. And, uh, but also, it's, it's going to lose its validity. Um, that's, I, I think that's a genuine, uh, genuine danger right now. I, ag I agree with you. Uh, I was just trying to put on my... Uh predictor hat. predictor hat well predictor again you may not be wrong on that and i I'm also not, you know i'm just saying i will that say it's, too it's a dangerous area to get into on not a just even on uh, oscar voters but in terms of the critics of the world i mean i saw multiple lists in various places where they had ladybird ranked number one so yeah Lady, know, Lady Bird is uh, there are beloved. other uh, a lot of critics in the country who did not share my like you know, tepid enthusiasm of it. Right, right. And I, I will say, I agree. Just really, but to end on Lady Bird is, I know it sounds almost like I'm shitting on it, <laughs> because it's another thing I like to point out. It's like you know we're talking here about awards for movies and right. like what should win for this and that and whatever. If you're looking for like, all right, I'm gonna watch a movie. Lady Bird's great. Like, you know, I don't, like, if you, if you don't put any sort of expectations right. on it of, like, right. this has to be the most important or best movie you've ever seen, if you're just like, oh, I want to watch Lady Bird, then it's great. Then I'm like, yeah, you should check it out. It's great. You know, you'll have, it's funny. Um, so, and the opening scene of Lady Bird, I will say, is one of the great scenes of the year, which I don't want to ruin it because it has kind of, like, a little twist <laughs> part to it. But uh, it's fantastic. It really sets yeah. the stage for the whole movie, and you're like, that's a great scene. So, um, anyway, so Lady Bird. And what about Shape of Water? Shape of Water. Now, here's the movie that uh, I've seen, Shape of Water. I felt the same as Shape of Water of every Del Toro movie I've ever seen, which is like, that was all right. I didn't love it. Yes. Yes. That, that's that's a, such an interesting point about, about Del Toro, whom I like and respect a lot, but I have never seen a film of his that wasn't missing something. Yeah. And a lot of times, even though I really, really think hard about it, I'm not quite sure what it's missing. That's the same thing. I mean, I, The Shape of Water I watched, there's nothing I can really point out is necessarily wrong with it. I mean, I will say the movie, for a movie about a woman who falls in love with some sort of weird merman. Merman. Um, <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> it, it, you know, 
as you can imagine, that movie has a lot of, it's all a metaphor for unconventional love and outsiders and things like that. So within the movie, there's some commentary on homosexuality mm -hmm. and there's some commentary on race and there's some commentary on class. And all of those things, I will say, are not handled in the subtlest way. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it, they're all kind of treated and kind of just like a character makes a really on-the-nose comment <laughs> just so you can elbow the person you're at the theater with and be like, well, you know what that's about, huh? Yeah. So, you know, you're not really impressed about the allegorical right. natures of it. But I heard um, the film is not over overtly political either. You know, it has, it definitely deals with the concept of outsiders and so forth. But So for this movie that's got all this prestige sheen about it, mm -hmm. there's a way that it just seems like if you took this same Phantom of the Opera story from before and let a 14-year-old boy direct it, because it's like, all right, imagine those stories, but, I mean, she'd totally have sex with him, right? <laughs> like, we're not talking about that, but she would have sex with him, right? I know, I and then you that. watch the movie, and it's like, yeah, they make that. It's not even implied, for, you know, like... Right. You know, the Sally Hawkins character is... Uh, has a discussion with Octavia Spencer's character about what it's like to have sex with, you know, and there's masturbation right away. So it's, uh -huh. it's. Yeah, I heard the, it the, wasn't a, like a straight up kids movie, which. Uh, no, but it's the basic story of it, though, is a story you've heard before yeah, about yeah. like, all right, woman meets the monster and the monster yeah. actually has a, you know, a heart of gold and then people want to keep the woman and the monster apart, but their yeah. love is pure. So it's like that, but then there's also like, you know, what's a monster erection like? So, um, yeah. I mean, I will say shout-outs to, I, I also don't think she's favored to win, but Sally Hawkins is an actress I've loved forever. She's in a lot of Mike Lee films mm -hmm. and uh, does great work. Same with um, Leslie Manville and Phantom Thread. So, right. you know, I mean, there's a world where I would love to just give Oscars to anybody who was in Mike Lee films, I'd be fine with that. Or just but British actors who have been like general, toiling no, away no, no, yeah. for decades and have been awesome in everything they've done, and now like somebody sees them in one movie and they've discovered them. Well, like at least a, she's doing like something. Like a teenager. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, at least she's doing something here. Whereas, like, I remember right. Sally Hawkins is in uh, the most recent Godzilla film. And she's like a scientist. She is? Yeah, she's a scientist assistant. <laughs> she has like five lines. Basically, oh. is like a secretary who falls around, which is hilarious to me. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. I can't remember if I'd made this joke on the podcast, but it'd be like if you had a movie about like a bank heist and then you cast Daniel Day Lewis as like the receptionist at the bank. Right. And you know, you're like, oh, is he the main character? Like, no, he's, at, he's just the receptionist. You know, he's like, what a waste. Does he have a speaking role? <laughs> yeah, no, right. not yeah, really. Yeah. Just a lot, a lot one, of reaction. At one point, he says, like, try the coffee. <laughs> but they cut that out. Yeah, that's Sally Hawkins and Godzilla. You have this yes. powerhouse performer. But anyway, well, she has listen, a lot more to do. Everybody's in, uh, got everybody's got to pay the bills. That's true, Steve. So yeah, sometimes you take a nothing role in Godzilla if it probably buys paid you more than those Mike Lee films. I, actually, well, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it paid ten times more than all of the uh, the Mike Lee films. But. Uh, one yeah, other, she's great. One other personal note on Shape of Water is, you know, Michael Shannon is very much the villain in the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I once did a brief video thing with Michael Shannon where he was kind of dicky. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm watching it being like, you know, this isn't really acting. Yeah, he, just, he's uh, just an asshole. Yeah, but, uh, and he is, I mean, again, treating the movie, it's, um, 
you know, he's practically twirling his mustache. And yeah. it's not a, like, oh, he's kind of a villain. Like, he's... Yeah. 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 At, at any possible opportunity for them to soften his character, they actually go the opposite Right. I, I much prefer yeah. Michael Shannon playing neutral or positive characters than I than bad characters because he he he's just too friggin evil there's no there's no yeah. shades to his bad guys in my opinion there's just no shades to them they they're just they they're, they're just like stereotypical villains and uh, his good guys are much more interesting like the character he plays in a film uh, nocturnal animals I don't know if you've seen that the, directed by the great American director Tom Ford. I'm just kidding. Tom Ford is a clothing designer. That's but, right. But he did yeah, a very yeah. good job with nocturnal animals, and uh, and um, Shannon is awesome in that movie. Very, very good. And that's actually a very good film. I uh, forgot to mention it in our previous podcast. Ah, sneak here it is. Yeah. But uh, but that actually even got nominated for something last year. But it doesn't matter. Um, so Shape of Water. Do you think it's a favorite? Uh, the front runner. Just from what I read, um, which is weird to me. I mean, yeah. and it's one of those, in some ways, if it wins, it'll make me like it more than I did. Right. Because there's something to be said for the charm of living in a world where the fish sex movie is the best picture. <laughs> like, I kind of can appreciate it. It's not a fish, Steve. <laughs> you can call it the fish sex. He's a merman. It's a completely um, different species, man. It's, it's, it's kind of racist to say he's a fish. I don't know. I, I mean, I will... I think what I, if I had to make a prediction, is Del Toro will actually win Best Director, uh, but maybe something else gets Best Picture. So that's why I think there's a chance that Get Out or Lady Bird could come in as the Best Picture, but then they won't coronate the directors of right, those movies. Like, right. they'll still treat Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig as like, okay, you know, you guys did a nice job, it's your first time out. Yeah, and I think that's how they should be treated. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, unless we're talking about it, a complete masterpiece of some sort. I, I think it's kind of weird to take a first-time director with a, with a good film and throw an Oscar at him. I think that's... That yeah. almost ruins their career. Well, it's like both Phantom Thread and Dunkirk display a level of, like, cinematic mastery and control that these Lady Bird and Get Out don't have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they won't get there, but I'm just saying Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan, I mean, you watch those movies and you're like, Wow, like you know, this is a these guys are masters of, of the language. That, like, yeah, that's right. They've 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 done this for a long time, and they've they've yeah they it, guys like that should get best director. Yeah, and they're first, first second time directors should not get best director thing unless we're talking about a complete groundbreaker. Sure, and we're not talking about no, that we're not either of these. Films. And that's you know, Get Out takes some interesting chances, but neither one of them are you know both Dunkirk and Phantom Thread. Like these people are confident enough that they're you know, lightly experimenting with the form and trying new things. And, you know, from a purely filmmaking standpoint, I mean, Lady Bird, like, rarely even moves the camera. You know, just yeah. a lot of static, wide shot, close-up, close-up. And I'm not, you know, I guess that sounds like I'm damning it. And it's kind of, you know, style should be motivated by your story. But, like you said, for a first time out, it's a, the strength is in the pacing and the performances. It's not so much in, like, wow, like, you know... She really knows what she's doing with like playing around with space and shot composition uh, uh. and things like that. She's got what you're saying is she's got a little ways to go uh, as a director. She's got some things sure. to learn, and she will. You know, she will. Yeah, same I with would, Jordan Peele. Yeah, 
There's so, and again, I'm saying that if you give them the best director Oscar for these films, it's gonna it's gonna ruin their career. <laughs> no, seriously, it's gonna ruin. They'll 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 be very proud of that Oscar on their wall, but there are always gonna be people that say it was a political Oscar. There's always gonna be a backlash against them. That when they come out with the next film, that's not gonna be that great. People are gonna go see. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, affirmative action hire kind of a thing, and nobody needs that. You know, they made a couple of good films. Hopefully, they'll get some, you know, mileage out of the fact that they were nominated for an Oscar. And honestly, you know, P.T. Anderson should win. <laughs> so yeah. That's uh, or something or Nolan. Well, you know? I, I think Del Toro is going to win in a version of the Del Toro is in that group of as the well. uh, bit of an achievement thing. Again, well, again, and and with Del Toro, what I said earlier, where like there seems to be something missing from every one of his films, I'm going to say the same thing about Christopher Nolan. As much as I, I, I as much as I like Christopher Nolan, there's always something missing from every one of his films that kind of prevents them from being totally like over the moon beloved well with nolan i actually feel i have a handle on what it is and that's nolan's movies to me are a little cold yeah but they're not impressively cold like yeah. I, i'm a big fan of kubrick which i know that's a that's a hot take i know i'm going out on a <laughs> ledge know, there but you know kubrick the big criticism was that his movies are cold and which is accurate for the most part but his movies are like monolithically cold you know right. <laughs> like like kubrick's movies some of them and some of the best ones seem like they were directed by a cold, uncaring God. Yeah. And yeah. Nolan's movies, to me, often lack a little bit of heart, but I don't think he, you know, I think he's trying that. Yeah. I actually feel in some ways similar to, it was a problem I've had with both Spike Lee and Oliver Stone. You know, with both those characters, those directors, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone are obviously way more political than Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the fault of their characters is their characters are just kind of like stand-ins for political ideas. Right. And But with Nolan, I feel sometimes the same thing. Like he's got his, he, he comes up with a story first and then he has to plug in the people. Mm -hmm. So then sometimes what happens is the people feel a little not fully fleshed out. So, but the one exception, like I character device, like plot yeah. devices, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But the one exception to that with Nolan is, and what I think is probably, you know, when we did our Nolan podcast, I rewatched everything. Maybe his best film for me is The Prestige, and that is because I actually do find a heart in the acting yeah. in that, and that like I am moved by Christian Bale's character arc yeah particularly yes Christian, absolutely Christian and, and and unlike and conversely the the uh, Hugh Jackman character arc in that film is also jarring but in a completely different way you're yeah. moved by the Christian Bale character but you're repulsed by the Hugh Jackman character and and both of those Feelings are strong and and persistent, and they kind of stick with you. Yeah, I I I, I, I feel very like much the, love the person. That movie has a little more heart that it it worked on a human scale, yeah. not just as a puzzle film. And obviously, yeah. you know, that film has its own twists and turns Absol as well. Big but. time, big time, and everything. You know, and, and Nolan is a structuralist, so yes. he's his approach to films. Start, I think, begins and ends with the structure of the films, and and and. Uh, 
Dunkirk is a prime example of that. And, and I think this is where you kind of, where, why it's not going to win much because there's just, it's so structurally constructed and at the same time is so existential in terms of you get no background in any of these characters. You're just kind of watching them do stuff. And a lot of the stuff they do is not that great. You yeah. Know? Uh, so you don't really get to fall in love with characters individual characters in that film and that leaves you a little cold at the end of the day you and know? that's my thing with del toro i think too is that he's he's very much positioned himself like he's this weird quirky interesting guy mm -hmm. but in some ways he's not because most of the stuff he does is just like a remix of something he's seen before so that's part of my thing yeah, he's kind of like, postmodern yeah everything he does is based on some previously existing work you know whether it's like pacific rim which has a you know is just based on these giant robot cartoons that yeah. have been around since the 70s and you know takes a little godzilla in there or a lot of godzilla throws that in there that's a mishmash you know yeah and i mean same and he's with got this. his it's creature from you know, the black lagoon with with sex yes and so he has his moments of genuine inspiration but they're you know they're kind of buried in the whole thing doesn't come off as crazy unique and oh hey we've talked about it or not but so we got two more to talk about. One of them I'll just hit really quickly because you haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. um, the Post, no, uh, a movie post. that six months ago on paper, like sight and scene, if I have told you what The Post was about, you would kind of just assume this thing was winning all the awards. <laughs> I mean, what if I, what have I told you, Andre, that uh, Steven Spielberg was directing a movie uh, about Watergate, maybe tying into investigations of Trump starring... Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. You'd be like, oh, what? Do we need to have the Oscars? Yeah. Just and then, give it to them. You know, they even had a joke about that in the Golden Globes. <laughs> and then the thing is, the movie is, um, it's a little ham-handed. Um, it famously was rushed to production. Mm -hmm. You know, of all the things about Spielberg to admire, one of the things is he may be the only guy in the world at his level who he can like wake up and be like, I want to make a movie about the Navajo Indians and I want to start shooting next week and I feel like it would more or less happen. So <laughs> Spielberg read this script and was like, let's call up you know, some of the most beloved, notable actors in the world and let's just bang this thing out and get it in theaters by you know Christmas. Right. And which is exactly what he did. Um, and it has its charms, but it's also, again, it just doesn't feel, it feels kind of TV movie-ish. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of the performances are pretty good. You know, Spielberg certainly is not a hack. But no. the script, it feels like a script that maybe should have been worked on a little more. Because parts of it are good. And then, not at one point, Andre, but there's like five points in the movie when a character just, says something that ostensibly is dialogue but is really just a paragraph long open treatsy for like political purposes making really obvious points and so you know by the time you get to the third or fourth one you just want to bang your head on the wall and be like you know i understand it's a movie but you know no one when they're talking to their wife is like it's important for the sanctity of the press that you go forward with this you know like that's right right like, right no yeah, I mean, again, an an another one of these films that I'm interested in seeing down the line, but not that interested. It'll play and, fine and, on your TV. And I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I, I it's been a long time since I've seen a, a Spielberg film that I just loved. 
That's it, yeah, yeah. I think he's been on a bit of a dry streak and, uh, you know, and, and I think he's trying to have another hit at some point, but also wants to be an important director, quote unquote. I think he's in a little bit of an impasse in his career and, and he needs, uh, I think he needs Indiana Jones again, man, because, <laughs> because I don't know. I, well, I, he seems to be a little bit adrift right now, career-wise. I don't think he knows. He, he doesn't. His obvious passions have all been explored, so now he just seems to be looking for a hit or a prestige Oscar bait thing, which this clearly is, and I don't think it's going to win. No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, yeah, that's the post. We actually said more about it than I thought than we would. Than you thought we would, but, but who knows? I may see it and just go like, wow, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I doubt it. But uh, well, how so about... Three billboards. Three billboards. Its official title, of course, Three Billboards Outside so, Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. Which... Uh, I maintain is kind of a terrible title, but at that point, everyone just calls it Three Billboards, sure, so I guess sure. it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just the saw The post that. is a terrible title. It's <laughs> 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 a freaking terrible title. You know, it's so terrible. You know what's a terrible even, title? Yeah. Phantom Thread. Yeah. Terrible. What the fuck does that even mean? They, they try to explain it in the film. I don't... It doesn't seem that tied into or or sewn into the fabric of the, the aesthetic <laughs> of the film. So I, that's a terrible title. What's the post, the, I just want to say for a minute, the post is such a terrible title. I didn't really think about how terrible it was until this exact moment. <laughs> and now it just hit me like full in the face about I don't, you want to see the post? Nope. No. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. How about three billboards outside It'd of Ebbing? It would be better no. if it was called Post. Yeah, if they took the the out and just made it post, yeah, it would have been yeah, it would have been better. People would have thought it would it was about that uh, cereal manufacturer, you know. Or I would have added an, an exclamation point like the informant, <laughs> like if it was called post, the post. Yeah. maybe or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually uh, okay. Uh, yeah, the there's post. some bad bad titles this year. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting. Um, but uh, but the three billboards. What do you think of that? You know, I uh, that movie is a hot mess, <laughs> and it has some bits and pieces that I like. Overall, when it, you know, when we, when the movie was over, I'm like, I didn't like that too much. <laughs> and it's taken me a few days to kind of ponder, like, well, why didn't? What was the deal? And, you know, there's little things and little moments, but to start with the broader themes. Well, actually, all right, let's go. What did you think of Three Billboards before I <laughs> well, I don't, shitting on I don't want to take you off its, uh, the, the pattern, but, uh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, once again, Steve, our, our, our viewpoints are strangely similar. I mean, I, I, w I spent an hour of that film actively loathing it, and then towards the end, it kind of won me over with what I thought was a fairly charming ending. And I like like these weird kind of non-conclusive endings, open endings, you may call them. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like some of the character twists that happens. The acting is brilliant across the board, uh, or at least excellent. Uh, but... I, I'm with you. It's it is a mess. <laughs> it seems to be made by a person who's never been to Ebony. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of archetypes that sometimes are inverted. 
you know, and they kind of pull the rug out from your expectations of these characters, but in other cases are not inverted at all, are just basically cliched characters that we've seen a million times before, often played by brilliant actors. Well, Martin McDonough, who's the director and uh, at mm -hmm. least one of the writers of the movie, you mm -hmm. know, is a, I believe he's Irish? Or, yeah. And he, British, he, uh... From the UK. Yes, say. but I heard one critique of the film, which I thought sounded pretty good, was that they felt like Martin McDonough had a, like a stack of papers with like, here's the problems that happen in America. And he just like was pulling things off this stack and seeing how many he could just kind of thrust into this right, movie. Right. It doesn't really explore well, anything too much. Well, when I got down to it, like my biggest problem with it is you're kind of like, well, what is this movie ultimately about? Because I feel like buried within that movie, you can make an interesting movie that's about grief and revenge. Like, if that was the only thing this movie was about, it would have been pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. But then they also throw in, like, police brutality and racism, and there's one, like, standalone speech about the problems with the Catholic Church, and then there's stuff about, like, terminal illness, and then there's stuff about um, what it's like to date a little person <laughs> like, i mean there's a lot of things that's a, and, that's a huge issue in this country right and, now they're just uh, you know i watched with my wife and i can't there were also like five or six instances where you're like are you kidding me like that happened yes there there was a particular thing that had to do with a you know i, I don't know again i am I'm, I'm fine to basically give it away but there's yeah. a point where a character confront completely new out of nowhere character confronts the main character of the film for no logical reason whatsoever like there's zero reason for that guy to confront uh francis mcdormand's character in the in the in the souvenir shop yeah and then that character is then elevated to the to the level of the villain of the piece as far as being a prime suspect, th that just seems like incredible cheating. Like, like yeah. I don't understand how any self-respecting writer can write something that contrived. Yeah, like you're, you're uh, In not... a movie that's not actually all that contrived. Yeah, well, but, well, I, see, I would that's... say that the movie's tone it sets you up to think it's not contrived, and then shit like that happens, and you're like, this is unbelievably contrived because right. yeah so this woman's daughter is murdered and no one has any clue who did it uh, uh. and then out of the blue the prime suspect comes in and taunts the victim's mother right. for something unrelated to the murder of the daughter like yeah. he literally just he he's set off by something else and it's bizarre and and kind of like hard to believe and and but but again, they did they do subvert that in the film a little bit, but but it still struck me as as fake. There's a lot of fake shit in that movie. Yeah, a lot that's of fake weird. Shit and I will movie. say, okay, Frances McDormand, who I've always loved, mm -hmm. I think she is great in the movie. Right. And I actually don't. I don't blame the problems on her, and no. I feel like her... I don't blame the problems on any of the actors, because the actors are all great. Like, sure. Peter Dinklage is great, Woody Harrelson is fantastic. I guess what I should say, and this would even be, you know, there's no way it would be her fault anyway, but, like, her character is not the problem with the movie. Right. You know, and even, you know, there's been a lot of backlash. Like, the, the front runner for Best Supporting Actor is Sam Rockwell, and a little bit of a career achievement, but... 
So Sam Rockwell plays not, this. Not his best performance, though. No, and he plays a deputy who, we're going to ruin a little bit of this here. So his character is controversial because he is, you know, basically a racist. Yes. And then as the film goes on, they give him some of a, re- a bit of a redemptive arc. So there's a lot of backlash that they don't like the idea that the racist has a redemptive arc. Mm-hmm. Now, having seen the movie, I will say in the defense, you know, there's a lot of other bizarre things about that character. Mm-hmm. But in defense of that aspect of it is I didn't feel like the racism was the central part of that character. That I felt like that character was a guy who felt like a failure and had a lot of bad self-esteem. And as part of that, he would take out his frustrations on black people but he also took out his frustrations on other like i'm not saying he wasn't not a racist but i'm also saying that the rate you know like voicing your frustrations on minorities was only like one of the ways this guy voices it wasn't just minorities man that 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 dude was an abusive bad cop he was a who friggin wasn't in control of his shit and went after people of any race yeah he was not a racist per se he had he didn't seem to have any negative feelings towards black people or anybody else that i saw i mean he he said stupid shit he was also a big dumbass in that yes so so he said stupid stuff and his mom what who totally was a racist yes was had this enormous influence on him so part of it seemed like he was just repeating verbatim what he heard his mom say and his redemptive arc such as it was i mean in defense of that like a it it wasn't like a full-on redemption it was not and and it was frankly the best part of the film yeah and his redemptive arc it wasn't that he suddenly learned how to not be racist it was that he got better at his job (laughs) <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? Like, well, when he got better at his job, he the chip started falling off of his shoulder. But I mean, they didn't. So you could no longer pin racism on him because he the, the, he wasn't in that space anymore where he. But was to the film's credit, him. they didn't give him some bullshit scene of like no. him and a black character where he's no. like, you know what? Suddenly, maybe you guys are all right. Like they didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. So, the, but, so that's but, why I guess I, it's a long-winded way of saying that I feel like some of the backlash against his specific character is weird and apart from the fact that sam rockwell didn't write the character it seems bizarre to me that you would hold like well he shouldn't win an oscar because well you know there's there's a bunch of people who on twitter that just whose job it is is to just generate outrage over anything yeah those people are assholes (laughs) <laughs> Nobody should listen to people like criticizing yeah. Chris Pratt for sending his prayers to Kevin Smith, who just had a heart attack. Yeah. Okay? These assholes are literally taking a gigantic shit in the mouth of our society. Okay? And the less we start paying attention to the, these nonsense attention seekers, the better off everybody's going to be, including them. Yeah, because yeah, they'll yeah. find something to do with their life that will be worthwhile. But currently, that Twitter, you know, outrage brigade just fuck up everything that they they touch because they're just looking for stuff to do, Yeah. you know? So, again, like, whenever I hear about that kind of stuff, it it pisses me off. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and if you're going to hate... I don't like the backlash. If you're going to hate on three billboards, you don't need to hate on the Sam Rockwell character. You can just hate on it for being, not knowing what the hell it's doing. 
Yeah. Well, that, also, that's that's true. It's got it's got and, issues, but but it and, is interesting and it is unexpected. And I agree with you. It's not Sam Rockwell's best performance. No. And even within the movie, and part of this is just the character he played. But like I kind of you know, and among the supporting actors, I preferred Woody Harrelson in that film. Woody Woody Harrelson gives one of his best performances in yeah. that film, and it's very deserved. Uh, Frances McDormand is excellent, but again, I've seen her do these kind of characters. She is becoming the sort of you know, as as she's like in the she's in her middle age now, and she's at, at this point kind of like the iconic actor for angry white women in America. Like she's able to do that so well uh, that when you watch this movie, I was kind of going like, yeah, I, I think I'm not surprised by. I this know why you say that, but at the same time, this is like the biggest showcase of that. So that's yes. why I can see like she yes. would win an award. I don't think she can go beyond this point unless she actually plays a villain. Yeah, you know, but that's why I mean borderline it, villainous in this film. Yeah, in the past, she's uh, you've just gotten smaller glimpses of it. This right. is a showcase for that. So she might get rewarded just for like again, if you like Frances McDormand doing this. Then I do. she might win for yeah exactly. I do like her doing um, this. I like. I mean, she's great. She, Woody she's Harrelson gives a very like apart from one of his best performances, but it's a type of acting I really like, which isn't as showy. Right. Which is he just was the character. Right. You know, it's he just was the sheriff. And subtle. I never. And he didn't have him. to do a lot of like ridiculous ticks yeah. to prove this or that. Like right. I just bought him. It's right. like you know, even having known Woody Harrelson as a human for decades now you know i just bought him as the sheriff yeah um i mean uh, another one of those like are you kidding me uh, andre can you answer to me that why in a movie that takes place in a rural town in missouri you know pop that's has a lot of you know like just very it's a rural american town what was the reason that the sheriff is married to an Australian woman who's 20 years younger than him? Yeah, that's because I didn't it was get that. such a like it right. stuck out for me. Of so all much. the actors that could have been cast, that that woman is Martin McDonough's girlfriend. Uh, is it in real life? Because that was say. my assumption after watching the movie. <laughs> I know. Because, well, first of all, you don't hear her talk until like two thirds through the film, and then you're like, wait, she's from Australia? And how her, did she get to Ebbing, Missouri? The and only why? thing wrong with her performance, like, you know, I didn't hate her performance other than the fact that she was just so completely miscast. It didn't make any sense. I mean, Woody Harrelson's like in his early 50s. There's He's no, a middle aged, kind of overweight dude. He would not have a supermodel no, Australian no, wife. No, he would have. A woman from Missouri who's right. probably like in her mid 40s or something. Yeah, she'd be in her late 40s and or, or I know the, it and, also and probably be severely overweight. And it also didn't fit the character that like he would be married to a woman in her 40s and they would have like 18 year old children. Yeah. And instead he's married to a 28 year old Australian woman. And they have like. It just looks like a model. I mean, I, yeah. again, nothing against the performance of that woman, but you gotta like, how do you cast. How do you cast a role like that? And the only way you would cast somebody like that is because you've never been to Ebbing, Missouri, and, yeah. and you you have no idea what the sheriff's wife would actually look like. Or, it's a missed opportunity. or if that was the character. Because that character could have been sort of a flip side of a Frances McDormand character. Correct. But instead, they just looked like they were from different universes, yeah. and it, that was a that was a big misstep. Like I, the only way that casting would be appropriate is if that was the character. Like, right. you know, part of the sheriff's quirk was that 
the sheriff went off on vacation to Australia and came, and came home back with, with his a, young, with hot wife. Bride. And everybody in town was like, that's interesting. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, crap. But that but was not her speaks character. English. Like, that was not implied that that was their backstory. No, no it was completely arbitrary. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I th That was a bizarre choice. Also, you know, uh, uh, one of our favorite actors, uh, John... Um, uh, from, from Deadwood, the guy who played her husband. Uh, John Hawks. John Hawks. I mean, like, that guy is a genuinely a great independent film actor. That, that was a shit role. I'm sorry, that was a shit role for him. It was a, it was a super two-dimensional, not even to the level of two-dimensional character. That was a one-dimensional character. Okay, nothing interesting about that guy. And arguably an even worse one-dimensional character is his new girlfriend, who is... I'm sorry, you know, that is a fucking sexist attitude on women. I mean, that woman was a moron. I mean, she was a complete imbecile. I've never, I, I've, I've met people who were not the smartest people in the world, but I've never met anybody who was that level of imbecile. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, it seemed almost kind of sexist. Yeah. Like, it's not enough that he split up with his angry bitch of a wife. You have to make him a super, you know, physically abusive all the time. And second, he has to be now engaged to, like, a 18-year-old uh, retarded woman. You know? Yeah. Or not, not actually retarded, but might as well be. Sure. You know, uh, so... Uh, yeah, that was another weird, weird thing that that struck me about the film. That just just didn't seem it didn't seem honest. Yeah, so that's so three billboards. Um, some people think it might win. I find that strange. I don't right. know. <laughs> so what, what's your favorite? In the, in the, like in the best picture category, we haven't even gotten into subcategories yeah, for actors and well, stuff what like you, that. We so, probably don't have time for. All those. right. So in terms of what I think will win. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Ladybird call. I'm gonna stick to my guns uh -huh. and say like I actually think Ladybird will win. I think the other contenders are Three Billboards, Shape of Water, and Get Out. Uh, depending on like you know if you go look up odds online, uh -huh. Shape of Water is the mild favorite over Three Billboards. Uh -huh. But I, I'm gonna go with Ladybird. Um, out of those nine films, um, you know my heart would vote for. Phantom Thread. So you think Phantom Thread should win, Lady Bird will win? Sure. And I will say, in my lifetime, most of the time, like, it's really rare that the movie that wins Best Picture is a movie that I was my favorite of the year. Like, it almost never happens. Uh -huh. And every now and then, a movie wins Best Picture that I'm just like, I don't even like that movie. Right. The most of the time what happens is the movie that wins Best Picture is a movie that it wasn't my favorite, but I'm at least like, oh, that was good. And that is how I will feel if Lady Bird wins. That I'll be like, it wasn't my pick for the Best Picture of the year, but it, you know, I, I don't begrudge it. I'm not like, oh, what a travesty, that movie sucks. Yeah. If three billboards win, I will be like, I don't really think that's a good movie. Right. Uh yeah, I I don't know. I think three billboards might might actually win. I yeah. I, I almost don't want to make this prediction. It's a but, contender. But I think it's a strong contender. There's there's some love for that film, and and again, I I don't absolutely hate the film. I I just I kind of agree with you that it's got a lot of absolute nonsense in it, and I didn't enjoy it while I was watching it, which sounds like I didn't particularly like the film. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it it still has a good chance of winning. I don't know. Um, 
I don't think Phantom Thread's going to win. I don't no. think Dunkirk is going to win. I don't think The Darkest Hour is going to win. So it's really going to be between Shape of Water, uh, the, uh, the, the Lady Bird, and Three Billboards. One of those will win. And you know, if and if the Academy is kind of in a in a quirky mood, they'll give it to Shape of Water because it's kind of a you know it's a science fictiony thing, which usually doesn't win. And uh, and uh, you know that's the, that'll be kind of the safer choice. If they give it to Lady Bird again, I think it's a mistake to give give Best Picture to first time directors. Uh, but uh, you know it's. I won't be surprised if that happens. Yeah. I do want to see the film. Uh, in the acting categories, not to spend too much time on it, but uh, I predict Gary Oldman will win. Yeah, we've kind of, we touched on them a little bit as we talked about the films. Um, we've touched Gary Oldman. <laughs> and Gary seen. Oldman, I think, is actually clearly, the only one I've heard as a dark horse is the Timothy Chalamet character mm-hmm. from Call Me By Your Again, Name. He's a child, okay. Uh, he's the youngest nominated i think in a long time and on, once again in a movie i haven't seen yeah uh, he's in ladybird too so uh, he really yeah plays his cards right well, he's an up-and-comer right. it's great i think for young actors to get nominated is like i if i was that guy i'd be praying not to win yeah I'm praying not to win um you know daniel kalua from get out was nominated I, I, is... yeah i i'm he's an excellent actor but yeah. that's ridiculous it's a oh. ridiculous friggin' nomination i'm sorry i was impressed by him in that so well, I, i'm impressed I'm okay by him as an actor it's just but... it's just you know he, he he did a good job in a genre movie he expressed everything that needed to be expressed he's a fine actor and i like him in black panther as well but uh but best actor I don't know. I was, uh, you know, that scene where he first gets hypnotized, he goes through quite a range there. That's okay. impressed by. All right. But I. Talented you know, guy. You know, Denzel was, you know, if you ask me, this seems strange to say, but in the best actor category, if you ask me who the dark horse contender is, oddly enough, I would say Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day? Well, I. I, well, I think this is one of his more reserved performances, yeah. least showy performances. And I think just for that reason, he's not going to win. It, you know, it's, it, he's almost walking through the film, it seems like, except he's not. Here's my only counter argument to that is, you know, I, I'm with you. It's not as, like, buzzed about. And when people talk about great Daniel Day-Lewis performances, mm-hmm. this isn't usually, you know, this probably won't be. Like, if you've never seen a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, right. I don't know that people will point to this at the top of the list. The only counter-argument I have to that is he's basically the male Meryl Streep. Yeah. And Meryl Streep, you know, and it happened again in The Post. And I will say she's better in The Post than she's been in in some of the other bullshit she's been nominated for. And this is not like a... I mean, Meryl Streep is one of our finer actors, but... Probably the finest. But one of the things about her and the reason she gets nominated is all... You know, this is my understanding, is basically all actors just revere Meryl Streep. So she sneezes, they nominate her. And I think Daniel Day-Lewis has the same thing. And I remember there was the year, it was like the Julia Child movie or something, but there was sometime in the mm-hmm. past, like five or six years, when Meryl Streep out of nowhere won like another Oscar. Right. Where everybody was just kind of like, they didn't really think she was going to win. And then I think when it came to the category, all the actors were like, I don't know. It's Meryl Streep. Give her the fucking award. Yeah, um, she's like a safe choice. You know, if yeah. she wins, the other nominees don't get offended. But I think it's getting to the point where it's almost a gag. So you, you know? so well, like, you could argue that there's a chance. Give it to Sally Hawkins. Daniel Day Lewis wins just based on the like, he's the best actor. Just given the award. Yeah, that there, said, he has 
three of them? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah he's got a lot of Oscars. The only reason they would give it to him this year would be to, to as, as a way to beg him to not retire. Yeah. And I have to just say, he's not going to retire, okay? Yeah. That's just nonsense. He's he, He'll take a vacation for a couple of years, come back, do another movie. Believe me. Uh, so there's no need to reward him with the best actor for this, for this thing. And and again, I'm predicting Gary Oldman, who actually will be getting a reward. But from what I understand, his performance as Churchill is so out there and so cool and and interesting and accurate that that he kind of deserves it for the film as well. Yeah. So I'm kind of rooting for him, but th- th- that's you know. Supporting act. Um, actually, let's just go lead actors real quick. We touched on these again. I think Frances McDormand just. I'd be, <laughs> she owns I'd be that category. But I, I, not having seen Shape of Water, I am intrigued by Sally Hawkins' silent performance. It, it's great. As I mentioned, I like her in general. Um, right. I just don't think it's, it's not. I mean, this sounds funny. Despite the fact that she's playing a mute woman who sleeps with a merman. Mm-hmm. It's not a showy performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, but the not showing—I don't know. Again, not. But having it doesn't seen have movie. a. You know, like there's. I one just like the silent would, performance thing. I like it too, but you have to say almost all the winners. You know, I mean, we joke and make fun of people for, it, but usually there's like a scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like you have at least one showy scene. Mm-hmm. Where you give a speech or do something crazy. Right. And guess what? The mute character doesn't have a big speech. So. Sally Hawkins, yeah, just with her hands. So I don't think she's going to win, but I, yeah, Frances McDormand's going to win that one. So yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress, this is the one that's kind of interesting. All the indications that the front runner is Allison Janney for I, Tanya, a movie I also haven't seen, but I really want to. I, me too. I'm a big fan of the idea of taking a real-life story and just treating it like a black comedy. <laughs> Love um, it. My favorite, my favorite, like, biopic uh, choice. Yeah, <laughs> and... and Allison Janney, this would also very much be kind of a career achievement of like a character actor that's pretty beloved, does a lot of things, both in movies and on TV. And, you know, she's been winning all the awards. Yeah. So that's why you kind of think. It seems like she's um, the, the, the shoe in there. Yeah. So I haven't seen that. I mean, from the movies I've seen, I would vote for Laurie Metcalf, who yes. I think is considered the closest possibility oh. to win. Right. Also a bit of a career right. achievement. And those two actors probably vie for the same roles. I would imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you could probably swap them from film to film and it'll be kind of like you could see Allison Jenny in the, you know, in the in, in the Lady Bird and uh, Laurie Metcalf in the in the I. Uh, yeah. Tanya. Well, Allison Jenny is more. She could do evil better, I think. Well, she's more palatable in a way. She's a little bit more of an entertainer streak in it, whereas yeah, Laurie Metcalf is more like, here I am, take it or leave it. Here I am, Steppenwolf. That's right. <laughs> uh, I mean, not to say she doesn't have no, you know, some comedic bits she, in she it. Can but, do, so she that's, I mean, shout out again to Leslie Manville, right. who I was, I'm delighted she's nominated. Yeah, ex- she was exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. Like a nomination for an actor like that, in a way, is better because nobody resents them. They get hired all the time. They start, you know, putting away money for retirement. That's exactly what an actor like that needs. I mean, I hate to take it down to a, the basic, the basic survival needs. But these British actors, you know, they they live middle class lifestyles over there. They they're on massive TV shows, and they really are not compensated anywhere to the level that actors in this country are compensated, even for commercial work. So when you see somebody who's clearly like a virtuoso performer, it's great to see them get get 
you know, a little props in, you know, in late career time, you know, so that that's very nice. And on the male supporting actor, like Willem Dafoe is nominated for a film that I understand he's actually the star of. Yeah. So this is one of those things where they just couldn't slot him into the best actor category, so they slotted him in the best supporting actor category, and and I'm offended. Because if he <laughs> wins, he deserves to win as a best actor. You haven't seen it. But then he right. takes it away from the other actor. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, Willem Dafoe, I've been a fan of his yeah. since, like, his first friggin' couple of films, and... You know, he deserves it, and he can do weirdos, and he can do just normal Joes. And in this movie, he's supposed to be amazing. So I haven't seen that movie either. I, I, I would like to see it. Yes. I mean, I, I, hear, I hear this movie really was kind of overlooked. Yeah, well, it's it's a very some, small movie. I some mean, one of the, the best film of the year. Willem Dafoe is, um, there's a lot of amateur actors in it. Right. That he's one of the few mm -hmm. professional actors. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that movie is a bummer with a capital B. <laughs> um, I mean, it looks beautiful. And, uh, yeah, I wish we had seen it before. Willem Dafoe, I mean, as we, there's the two three billboards men we just talked a lot about. And Sam Rockwell is kind of expected to win. Um, I did not see All the Money in the World, where Christopher mm -hmm. Plummer as the shoe-in. I mean, talk about a political nomination. Um, but Rich, Christopher Plummer is always great, so sure. I can totally visualize Christopher Plummer killing that role. And yeah. nor do I particularly understand why Kevin Spacey was cast in a role that requires him to wear just a basically a prosthetic mask. I never like that. It like, seemed, what is the point? There's there's actors in the age group that they are actually shooting for who rock like Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Instead, they get. Kevin Spacey, why? Because he's a bigger star. Why I mean, is why is uh, a fifty five year old yeah. and an eighty eight year old? Well, get Jennifer Lawrence to yeah. slap a fucking mask on her <laughs> head and see how she does. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, we're, it's it's lame and it's kind of ageism and it's yeah. and you know, it, it, you know, acting is one of the few professions where people actually get better at it with age. Yeah. So a ninety year old actor with their full faculties is going to be better than their. 70-year-old version of themselves and their 50-year-old versions of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, so I say when there's opportunities for elderly actors to be cast, cast the friggin' elderly actors. Don't cast the middle-aged guy and put a friggin' mask on him. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of insulting. Well, the but, other nominee is uh, Richard Jenkins from The Shape of Water, who, you know, yeah. we know Richard Jenkins. Well, I will say, Andre, um, maybe my favorite performance in the film. I, I can believe it. He's a, I mean, we you know can Richard say that Jenkins. about Richard Jenkins in a lot of movies, he's, right? <laughs> he's he's that kind of a guy. He comes in, he steals every scene he's in. He can be lovable, he can be yep. evil. And then he just moves on. He, yeah. And his and, uh, line delivery is perfect every time. Like you, you, I can never think of a better version of that line than could be delivered by Richard so Jenkins. So he does great. Uh, Except possible J.K. Simmons. <laughs> that's, that's a good comparison, yeah. They're Those different, two need but yeah, yeah. Um, I will say one last quote on Willem Dafoe. I always go back and forth on the legacy Oscar that, you know, in general, the purist in me wants to reward who was the best that year. Right. That yeah. said, there's something to be said for, like, like, Willem Dafoe doesn't have a, like, give Willem Dafoe an Oscar. You know? <laughs> well, not? Willem Dafoe's done very, very quirky films over his yeah. career and has avoided the showy, acty stuff. Sure. But that's what I mean. If he does win, I hear what you're saying about you know, dominating the category if he should have been a best actor. But in general, I will not feel bad at the idea that Willem Dafoe wins an Oscar. No. So. No. No, I will not feel bad either. 
Um, but uh, so we'll see what happens. Then. Yeah, I mean, we discussed all the. You know, you and I don't have a lot to say about documentary shorts. No, unfortunately. no, we, don't have, we, we don't never get, do. We don't get screeners. We um, probably said too much about films we haven't seen already. So <laughs> honestly, I say we cut our losses and uh, let the people uh, look forward to the Academy Awards that. Uh, they may not even bother watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only one is a final shout-out, and we kind of touched on this on the last podcast. You know, I was looking at the other uh, cinematography nominees. Ah, yes. And uh, I don't know, I really think Roger Deakins might do it this year. It may be his year. It may be his year. Well, I mean, it's like, again, like with Roger Deakins, like like what is Roger Deakins going to ha- Is Roger Deakins going to have to photograph the most beautiful film ever made? to actually get some Oscar, Oscar love. And well, he, I'd say we, I'd say he came pretty freaking close with this one. He's been, that movie is stunning. He's been nominated. You know, it's not like he never gets nominated. Yeah. He's not under-recognized. Um, no, he's acknowledged as the un, unsurpassed master of his craft. It's just uh, the, only, uh, the Academy you know, the Awards only, has eluded him. Well, the only thing that has gone against him, apart from, you know, we discussed up against some other very very talented cinematographers mm-hmm. but you can say this that a lot of the movies he shoots are not they don't win oscars mm-hmm. they occasionally get nominated but so what happens in you know cinematography does fall under the technical categories right. wow. and what happens is whatever movie wins best picture sometimes just sweeps a lot of these awards and but I mean, how many Oscar-winning films has he shot? Well, that's I what mean, I mean. He hasn't a, though. They haven't won. Yeah, well, he's well, only the only one I can think of he's ever worked on that won Best Picture is No Country for Old Men. Right. But he's also done all those other movies with the Coen Brothers that some of them have been nominated. You they've know? been nominated, but none of them that's, have won. That's right. what I mean. They've never had that like juggernaut right, of right. like, okay, yeah. they're gonna win. Right. And, win and he also made most most of his career. He was not the showiest of the directors of photography either. Like he was not known for super stylish thing he was a journeyman in a true sense of the word is he adjusted his style to the demands of the material yeah i mean and, he doesn't have a signature style other than it's all beautiful right yeah, well yeah. it's like, just good it's yeah. just really freaking good but in 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 blade runner 2049 for yeah. which he will win because if he doesn't win it's just it, i'm sorry the whole thing is bullshit it's it, it you, you cannot not give it to him if you nominate him that year unless there's something else completely different and there isn't he should win but you know this year also there's a woman nominated there is for mudbound uh, mudbound which is on netflix which i really want to see and she's a fantastic cinematographer and as you know and she might win again with a slightly political tinge to her victory uh, again i do not think that losing another academy award is going to is going to change uh, the legacy of Roger Deakins. No. Uh, so he should be probably going into it with a fairly zen-like attitude that he's going to lose. But but the beauty of Blade Runner 2049, I'm sorry. The, the, I've, I've seen parts of Mudbound, and it's not. That's yeah, not I mean, it'll be, you know, no disrespect to these other cinematographers. They all do fine work. But, you know, I feel like, I don't know if they'll show a montage of the movies for the cinematography. Like, they may just show the nominees. But... If they actually took the time, like an acting clip, mm-hmm. and just showed, you know, 20 seconds of each movie, I mean, that'd be all it would take. Like, you'd watch these other movies, and then you'd put up 20 seconds of Blade Runner and be like, yeah. just as if you had yeah. never seen any of the five movies, your eye would instantly right. be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. 
I want to yeah. see that. Well, you could put you could put like a demo reel from Blade Runner, and it'll look like five different movies, and each one of them would seem like it's incredibly photographed. Yeah. So, so it's uh, yeah. It, I mean, he deserves it. He might not win, but we'll see what happens. All right. All right. So yeah, go Roger Deakins. Oscars are this Sunday. We're gonna That's get this right. up. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of excited for the best picture to see what happens. We'll see what's going on. Yeah. All the races will be fun. Jimmy Kimmel's back. He did a good job last year, I thought. Kind of zip things along. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I to me he's like a like a like a mannequin. You could just basically put a mannequin with a tape recorder next to him and it's good. It's kind oh. of Jimmy Kimmel. Not a big uh, not a big fan, but I don't watch him a lot. I don't but, watch uh, him either. I just thought he did an okay job on yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know how much it was him or what, but it felt last year's Oscars zipped along better than usual. Right. I'm going to give him a little credit for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it'll be hard to top the bizarre ending of last year. But. Well, yeah, that, that was a big thing, but that wasn't that had nothing to do with him, actually. He kind of handled that pretty well, to be honest Correct. with you. And, and uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was Warren Beatty's fault, man. Sure was. <laughs> Beatty fucked that up. <laughs> Maybe you should, should get Beatty to host the Oscars. I don't understand. I don't understand why, like, just a mediocre job performance gets you a return trip to the as the Oscar host just these days. Oh, I, I thought Do it we was no longer reward mediocre. excellence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I th you know, again, I, uh, I'd want like uh, Dave Chappelle to host the Oscars. You know, that's that well, would be I, my choice. You know, I'm not privy to these conversations but the things i've kind of heard is uh part of the problem is that nobody wants to host the oscars right that it's, it's a thankless not, job it's not a sought after gig well, it's, it's a thankless job because yeah. everybody hates you no matter what you do so yeah. you, it's just you just basically got to get through that's what i'm saying that they should just get a like a like a robot to do it they should have they should build an artificial intelligent creature and that creature's job should only be hosting the Oscars. I mean, what what difference does it make? Billy the, Crystal edged close to that. Yeah, that he's category. kind of got close to that. Yeah. Didn't he? That's, you that's, know, they should have done brought James Franco back. Uh, I think that would have been a big hit with all that. <laughs> <laughs> Not only uh, his beloved I, past performance hosting, but just like the climate. I think uh, that that that's really what they're right. They he have. has not been quite excommunicated from showbiz yet, right? I mean, he's still he's kind of teetering on the edge. He's on the edge. Um, incidentally, I saw the Disaster Artist, completely unrelated. Uh, that movie is uh, unwatchable. I think it's. <laughs> yeah, sorry, and I I don't get it. I don't understand why it was made. It's not cute, funny. It's got nothing to say about anything, and and I think. Had you seen The Room? I, you know, again, like, like I don't go, like, I, I, I'm not, like, when I'm walking around the street and I see a pile of dog shit, I don't drop down and smell it. That's sort of my feeling about the room. Like, okay, I get it. You know, you like really bad movies, but I, I actually don't. I like well, I was just looking for context, you know. Like, right. So going with the metaphor that, you know, maybe if you had experienced the dog shit, mm -hmm. you'd be more interested in right, how the right. dog shit was made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like... Mm, this smells what did this dog eat? horrible. I would love to see how this <laughs> dog watch a movie shat this out. What the dog ate before. Yeah, well, this is, you know, that actually is a pretty apt description of that film to me. You know, it just looks like two hours of watching a dog take a shit. Uh, well, that's how I felt. So, I don't know. But I do like the, like, I'm not against Franco. <laughs> I think Franco is just one of those guys who always overreaches his ability, you know, and that's endearing. But outside of 128 hours, I've never seen him give a performance where I was not explicitly thinking to myself, 
this boy's acting right now. I uh, I completely agree. I have 40 other thoughts on James Franco that I will have to table. All right, we'll, maybe we'll do a James Franco podcast. The whole, uh, you know, retro retrospective. Um, yeah, part of my problem so. is that I would then be giving more attention to James Franco, <laughs> which is part of my issue. I, uh, but, uh, uh, I, uh, I don't know. So anyway, the Oscars this Sunday. Yeah, ABC, I let's think. watch. <laughs> maybe we come up with a cool drinking game of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Steve Askin. I'm Andre Shane. We'll see you soon. Let's go, Steve. All right. Mm